Hebrew or uh, Acts chapter number 11 this morning. Acts chapter number 11, you can follow along there in your Bible, and hopefully you received the bulletin this morning on your way in, and inside you'll find a, a page that you can follow along with the message this morning. I'm beginning a brand new series on Sunday morning this morning, and this is the first of uh, as long as the Lord will allow me to bring messages on making a difference, and I know this, in my life, I, I want to choose to make a difference, not a difference for myself, but for the Lord. And we're going to begin this uh, series this morning with the fact that giving makes a difference. Giving makes a difference. And so as you look here in, in Acts chapter number 11, I just would like to say that in order that wanting to make a difference, if we're going to make a difference, we have to learn to cultivate in our lives the grace of giving. And we, we've been talking about this. We'll talk about it more as the time comes on in the days ahead. But in order to, to meet the needs of others and to meet the needs of the work of God, we have to cultivate this grace of giving. And we'll see that illustrated here in these verses in Acts 11, beginning in verse 27 this morning. The Bible says, And in those, these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul." Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you for the word of God. I pray that you'd use it in our lives today. Lord, may you speak to our hearts. Lord, change a heart, change the world. And we'll thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The Bible instructs us here that this is the time frame, to help you understand, is the, the first century of the, the New Testament era in the Word of God, how that the Bible identifies these, these Christians, first century Christians, who I believe were making a difference. And God tells us that the reason that they were making a difference is because they were new believers in the Lord. Look what the Bible says in this same chapter in verse number one. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the Word of God. That means that there were uh, Gentile believers that had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I, I hope and pray that everyone here this morning knows Christ as their Savior, but it's a wonderful thing to see someone passing from death to life. And, and here we see that these people are a great example of how they were making a difference, but the way that they were making a difference was by their giving. Now, why would they do that? Why would they give in their day? Why does God still want us in our day to be a part of giving so that other people can come to know Christ? And I believe that the reason is still what it was back then is that there is a need for people to know the Lord. There's a great need still to this day. And God's Word, as we study the Bible, I understand every day that I read it, 
that God's Word is not outdated. Matter of fact, God's Word is relevant even to this very day we live in, in 2018. And as I look at the Word of God, I find that giving or generosity is one of the hallmark characteristics of God's people. Uh, Billy Graham said this, God has given us two hands, one to receive with and the other to give with. We are not cisterns made for hoarding, we are channels made for sharing. God wants us to be a part of His plan and His program. Now, it's illustrated in the passage this morning that, first of all, we see the presence of a need. The Bible identifies in verse number 28 that there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. See, there was going to be a widespread scarcity of food and provisions, necessities for everyone that lived in the Roman Empire in that day. And can I also share with you that if it was going to affect everyone in the Roman Empire, that included Christians. Everyone was going to be affected by this. And so we see, first of all, there was an accurate prophecy because the Bible says that this, this was signified by the Spirit. This wasn't something that just Agabus thought, hey, I'm just going to come up with this. I'm going to conjure this up. No, this was something that God put on the heart and the mouth of this prophet named Agabus, who was one of those prophets that had come to Antioch, and he makes this prophecy, this prediction, that it was going to be throughout the entire empire. And when they heard that there was going to be this famine, this dearth, it, it caught the attention of all the people. Why? Because many people would suffer and many people would die as a result of this prophecy. See, it was an accurate prophecy because it was signified by the Spirit, but I also see that it was an awful prophecy because it was something that was going to be throughout the entire world. Now, in our day, in 2018, the world is much larger. Now, it's still the same ball that God placed in space, but understand what has been inhabited is much more than it was back in the first century. For instance, America hadn't even been discovered yet. Uh, they hadn't spread across the globe the way that they are in the world today, but the Bible says the known world of the day in the first century that this, this dearth, this famine, was going to be awful because there were going to be so many that were going to be in poverty. There was going to be scarcity and difficulty and needs that are not being met. And we can see a little bit of this in the world today. Uh, we have one of, our, one of our members who has a family in the country of Haiti that, that they, there's a scarcity, that they're struggling, they have needs uh, they have things that need to be met in their lives. And look, uh, understand that when things like this happen, that it affects all those that are under that, that particular famine or that particular situation. And it was like this in the first century, that everyone in the Roman Empire was affected by it, which included the Christians. Paul understood in his day, as a child of God, as he wrote to those in Philippi, the Bible says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both how to be full, we all enjoy that, but he says also how to be hungry. 
how to abound, and how to suffer need. See, there was the presence of a need. There was this prophecy made, and it it came to pass, the Bible says, in the days of Claudius Caesar. It it happened. It was something that did take place. Now, uh, you could say, well, that was them, and you know, uh, that it didn't affect us because we weren't alive then. But I think it's interesting when you study the Bible, especially this passage, what did those people do? More specifically, what did those Christian people do when they, when they not only realized the famine, but they were actually in it? They were actually going through it. They had needs. There was a scarcity in their own lives. See, although they were there, what amazes me is, is that as we read in verse 1 of this chapter, that these believers that are mentioned here in Acts 11, they were new believers. They were Gentile believers. If you know the Bible at all, you know that the Jew and the Gentile didn't really have a lot to do with each other because The Jews perceive themselves as God's chosen people, and there's a lot to to verify when it comes to that thought. There's a lot of promises God has made to the nation of Israel, but understand that God's plan was always God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Bible says to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. God says, look, because of the unbelief of the Jew, the gospel, the good news when the nations, the Gentile nations, if you're here today and you are not a descent of the Jewish nation, then you, like me, are one of those that are a part of the ethnos, talking about the Gentiles. And that's what we see here this morning. These people hadn't been saved for a, a great length of time. As a matter of fact, many of them were brand new believers. But I want you to think about this as we look at this passage this morning how that they hadn't been saved, they hadn't been to a Faith Promise Missions Conference, but they had a desire to participate. They had needs of their own, but they looked beyond themselves to people's needs that were greater than theirs. And a lot of times we want to look at ourselves and not think about those around us, but these people, as somebody said, they saw the need and they took the lead. Notice, first of all, the people who gave. The Bible says in verse number 29, and look at it again, here's what the Bible says. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief. Notice the people that gave was every man. Every man. Disciples. The word disciple means a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, it's a great arrangement when everyone does something. We all can be a part of it. Giving is not meant to be for a select few. It's a team sport. And since giving is a part of our spiritual growth and we all want to grow in the Lord, then every one of us must determine as they in Antioch and those that were new Gentile believers, we all must determine that we want to give. As a matter of fact, we get to give. The Bible tells us that upon the first day of the week, anybody know what day that is? Sunday. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered. 
in Moses' day, Moses encouraged the people of God, the children of Israel, he encouraged them the very same thing, to participate. Deuteronomy 16, 17, every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord thy God, which he hath given thee. Did you hear what the Bible says? Because some type of people say, well, I just don't have the money to give. The Bible says, as God has blessed you, as God has given to you, then we should give. A great illustration of how this world is, the, the Houston Chronicle years ago reported a story, and they said, being a part of the original group that launched Apple Computer, a man by the name of Ronald Wayne sold 10% interest in the company, and he sold that interest for $800. In his lack of vision for Apple's future, and, and not even thinking about it, he failed to take the risk, the investment risk, and he failed to focus on the long-term dividend in that $800 investment today, they claim, would be worth over $300 million because he could not see the vision for Apple Computer. Can I tell you this morning, as great as Apple Computer is, that people are more important than Apple Computer. That God so loved the world. God didn't die for computers. He didn't die for programs. He died for people. And God loves the world. See, the question this morning is, will you be like those in the first century? Will you be among the every man? You see, every man includes every one of us. God's plan to meet this need was that everyone would participate, but notice the portion that they gave. The Bible says, according to their ability. Now, some people say, that's just it, Pastor. I'm not able. The Bible says, according to their ability. Folks, listen, we're not in a competition with anyone else when it comes to participating, to be a part of it. Participation is based on the unique enabling of God in the life of each individual person. Jesus commanded, you remember the passage in the Bible where Jesus was standing in the treasury in the temple and they had in a different day, like this morning you saw the offering plates being passed in, in our offering time here at the church. And by the way, our giving is voluntary. We don't stand over people. We don't call people out. It's something between you and the Lord. I do believe the Bible teaches it's a command of the Lord. But again, that's between you and God. But, but as in the days of Jesus, they had these boxes that they had in the temple. And when people would come in to worship the Lord, their services were a little bit different than ours are today. And they, people would come in and they would drop their offering in the boxes. And as they put it in the box, naturally, because most of the currency in the day was coins. Some coins were larger than others. They were made out of different metals. Some coins, therefore, were heavier than other coins. And Jesus is standing over against the treasury. In other words, he not only can see physically, but he also can hear what is taking place as people are giving. And by the way, even if he wouldn't have been standing there and he would have been in a different town in a different country, he's God, he still would have known what would have been put in. You agree with that? God knows everything. And so these people walk in in their dignified, expensive clothes. They walk over and they make sure that they have a lot of coins and they begin to drop them in the box 
And they do it to where, you know, it's almost like they're flinging them in so that you can hear all the coins and you can hear how many coins. And everybody that's in the temple area immediately says, whoa, somebody just put a lot of money in there. Did you hear that? People turn around to take a notice who it was. But then all of a sudden, this little widow woman makes her way over to the same collection box. And she reaches in and she pulls out two little bitty coins, mites. They would be equivalent today to that coin that you don't think much about, pennies. They were worth about a half a cent. And she reaches her little frail hand and she drops them in the offering plate. And that collection box, it just goes almost unheard by most of the people. And I want you to look at these verses here because Jesus sat over against the treasury and he beheld how the people cast money into the treasury and many which were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow and she threw in two mites which make a farthing and he called unto his disciples. And listen to what he says to them. Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For they all did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. You know, when I read that passage, I realized that Jesus was commending the sacrifice, not the size. You know what God's interested in? You just heard it in the song before I got up here, your heart. Because God is concerned with your heart in this area of participating to meet the need. In Deuteronomy 16, 7, again, Moses said, every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord thy God. You see, in the New Testament, Paul uh, as he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul also wanted to make sure this, this matter of giving, that it was not a one-size-fits-all proposition. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse 12. If there first be a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye be burdened, but ye, by, notice, by an equality. Not, but uh, not now at this time, your abundance may be a supply of their want, that your, their abundance may also be a supply of your want, that there may be equality. Second time he's used that word. As it is written, he that hath gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. What is God talking about here? He's talking about proportional giving, that God wants us to understand that there's no place when it comes to giving for guilt or competition, that God wants every Christian for, to give to him from that which he has given to you. God has given to every one of us, and it should never be our intention that, hey, listen, I'm going to do that someday. I want to be a part of that someday. Whenever I have more money, I'll do that. Maybe when I win that $1.1 billion lottery, I'll give next Sunday. God says, no, no, no. I want you to be a part of it today. I want you to give. Well, Pastor, you don't understand. I mean, I, you know, things are tight right now. We don't have a lot of money. Can I remind you, there was a great dearth in the land. Throughout all the world, 
It was not only affecting those in the Roman Empire, but it was affecting the Christians. And they had needs of their own, but they looked beyond themselves and they participated and they, they gave what they gave. But notice thirdly, the purpose that they gave. The Bible says they gave to relieve the brethren. There's a song that I didn't learn growing up because I wasn't saved and did not become a Christian until I was 20, but there's a little children's song, and part of that song goes like this, sharing, sharing, that's what Christians do. Christians share. Sharing isn't natural. You know why? Because it fights against number one. You know who number one is? Look in the mirror. Because none of us want to give. We say, look, I've worked. I've earned that money. That's mine. We're like those little kids in the nursery this morning who came into that nursery with nothing but a diaper bag. But every toy in that nursery is theirs. And that's the way we are in life. See, those in Antioch, and listen, those Gentile believers, they could have chosen. Look, they, they understood. They could have saved their money. They could have said, look, we understand, but we have a need of our own. Uh, they could have chosen to do whatever they wanted to do, but somebody said, God gives to us what he intends to flow through us. They chose to give, and as they gave, they gave through their church in that day. And what God's plan for us, even in this day, is that you and I, as we come together in the Lord, that we would give uh, through our local church to meet the needs that are around this world, the needs of people that they have in their day. Hey, listen, there is still a great dearth in this world today. The Bible says that that, that dearth is that God's word is not going forth, that the seed is still in the barn, that people have never heard about the love of God. William Penn said, do good with what thou hast, or it will do thee no good. Do you remember the man in the Bible by the name of Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man, right? Zacchaeus lived his entire adult life. Anybody remember what his profession was? Tax collector. He was extorting money from people. It was never enough. He was always after more, 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 more. I can't get enough. He lived his life to get. But remember the day that Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming by, and Zacchaeus experienced the Lord in his life for the first time. He became a disciple of the Lord, a believer in Christ. He put his faith in the Lord. And it's interesting that when Zacchaeus got saved, that the man who could not get enough lived his life to get this and to get this and to get this, that same man, after he met Jesus and became a believer in Christ, now all of a sudden he's willing to share his resources with other people. Look at the Bible says in Luke 19, 8, Zacchaeus stood and he said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods. Now, does anybody know percentage what half is? 50. I want you to think about this. The half of my goods, he says here, I give to the poor. And if that ain't enough, if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore it to him how much? Fourfold. Now how does a man go from, I can't get enough, I can't get enough, give me more, give me more, spending his life filling his coffers, but then he becomes a believer in Christ, God changes his heart. 
And now he says, I'm going to give half of everything I have. You know why? Because it no longer mattered to Zacchaeus the way it did before he got saved. But God changed his heart. You see, I find here that these people that saw the need, there was the presence of a need, there was a great dearth in the land, and they wanted to participate. And by the way, they did participate. But notice thirdly this morning, I want you to see that if you are saved, and God wants you and I to be a part of this, that he gives us the pattern for what we would call New Testament giving. And it's right here in verse number 30. Look what the Bible says, which also they did. They put their money where their mouth was. They didn't just say, hey, we're going to give to this. They didn't just give for a week or a month. They gave and they gave and they gave. It became a part of their life. And the Bible says that they gave it and they sent it uh, to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So God gives us some characteristics of what a New Testament church, what Bible-believing Christians, what the DNA of giving is. Here it is. First of all, it's systematic giving. In the life of these believers, this matter of giving became a manner of life. It became something that was a regularity. It's not something that is a mentality that I'll give when I can and when I can and if I can and when I feel like it. Folks, if that's our attitude, we'll never give. When I was a child growing up and I went to church, I used to watch my father. I loved my dad and I still pray for my dad, and, and I love to talk to my dad to this day. But I still remember when I was a child growing up that when the offering plate came by, that my dad many times would take his wallet out because he felt obligated. And what he would do is he'd open up his wallet. And whatever my dad had, which oftentimes, because hard, the times were real hard when I was a kid growing up, but my dad would open up his wallet, and if he had a dollar, he'd give a dollar. If he'd have a five, he'd give a five. But I'm glad that at least my father realized, hey, look, I should give. I want to be a part of this. And again, the Bible tells us upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. See, mature believers, that's what we're talking about today. These in Antioch, these Gentile believers, they were just beginning their life in Christ, but those of us that have been saved, we need to become predictable and dependable in our giving. Somebody said some Christians give to God's work weekly, others just weekly. Now you understand if you look at that quote. But see, our giving, you know what it does? It reveals a lot about us. It reveals a whole lot about us. I read an account where uh, they, someone was doing an autobiography on the Duke of Wellington. And in this autobiography, they said that they, there was stated in one of his old ledger accounts that it showed how the Duke of Wellington spent his money. And the findings stated that it was a far better clue to what he thought was really important than reading his letters or his speeches. You see, you can look at somebody's finances. Uh, for years, when I was in Bible college and I was studying for the ministry, I took a job doing something that, honestly, I, I didn't like the job. I, all, I, I said I would never do it. But it was one of these people that, you know, call you on the phone and try to sell you something. Anybody here like those kind of people? I hope nobody has that job, because if you do, I'll pray for you, all right? But I, I was, times were hard. I needed a job because I had a wife and four children, and I needed some income to, just to put some food on the table. And so I took one of these telemarketing jobs. 
And, and, and what I would do is I would, I would basically uh, learn their script, and then I would call, it, it just automatically, I mean, you never knew who you were calling until the name popped up, and you would call these people unawares. And you would start to give them, and, and what you were doing was you were trying to sell them on what it was. Now, the one thing, and, and, and maybe some of you already know this, but this company that I was working for, they had different packages. They had like an entertainment package. They had a sports package. They had uh, some other consumer-type packages. And not only would the names pop up randomly, but also it would target. See, they had looked at your finances. Somebody had acquired, paid for, by the way, this stuff still goes on today, they know exactly what you use your credit cards to purchase. There's a scary thought. And so they see that this person here goes to a lot of sporting events and uh, spends money doing this and this and this, so they would target. So when I called, I already had a leg in the door because this person that I was calling, I was calling them with something that they, I knew or they knew he was interested in. And as a result, I began to talk to them, and many times those people who did not know me from Adam would say, I'll take it. I'll take that. And that's exactly what they saw when they looked at the Duke of Wellington's ledgers. We can see what was important to him because it's what he spent his money on. Can I tell you today that nobody might know your finances, but there's a God in heaven who knows where you spend your money? And what you spend your money on. And you know what that says to God? I know what is important to you. I know what you care about. Because Zacchaeus' whole life changed. Because the Lord had come into his life. And see, he began to think about this matter of being a part of giving to the needs of others. See, it, it ought to be systematic. It should become, our giving should become a matter of regularity. But notice it also, this giving in the first century was sacrificial giving. See, giving always includes some measure of sacrifice because, look, if it's something that we might have in our checkbook, in our bank account, or at home, or wherever it may be, if we give it, that means we're sacrificing, we're doing without. Sacrificial giving doesn't come from an overflow of abundance. That's what Jesus said about those in the temple, in the treasury. He says they gave of their abundance, but that poor widow woman, she gave all that she had. She gave of her need. She gave from the depths of her poverty. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 2, he that is in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. I mean, these people were in a great trial. They weren't just suffering a little bit. I mean, they were really poor people, but they sacrificed. Sacrifice is certainly the example that the Lord uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... For your sakes he became poor. Notice that ye, you and I, through his poverty, that we might be made rich. Aren't you glad for what the Lord's done for us? See, David demonstrated this same characteristic of giving. Remember what David says? He says, he says I'm not going to offer to God anything that costs me nothing. David says, I want 
to give to the Lord. See, that's what God does in our hearts, is God helps us understand that giving is a part of the Christian life, and that giving is something that requires sacrifice. But then notice, thirdly, that our giving needs to be sincere. Uh, Folks, listen, motives do matter. God doesn't need your gifts. And sometimes people sit in churches and they hear a message like this. Understand this morning, God doesn't need your gifts. God doesn't need your money. What God needs and what God wants is your hearts. God wants your heart this morning. Giving is not a game. It's a part of our worship. It's an act of our worship. Notice, sincere giving means to have a willing heart. And a willing heart is the way that God has intended his work to be supported. God wants us to be willing to give. Look what the Bible says. For to their power, I bear record, yea, beyond their power, that they were willing of themselves. For if there first be a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. When it came time in the Bible, when they were building the temple, and they took up the offering to build the temple, and there was one stipulation, and a lot of times people say, oh, there it is, there it is. What's that stipulation? Here it is, that they were willing in their hearts to be a part of it. I want to be a part of this. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 25, during that time of building of the tabernacle, the Bible says, speak unto the children of Israel that they bring an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. Well, how did the Hebrews respond when they said, hey, look, every one of you should participate. Every one of you should, should willingly want to be a part of this. Look what it says in Exodus 35, 21. They came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone with whom his spirit made willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation for all his service and for the holy garment. See, there was a sincerity in their giving because they had a willing heart, but then notice sincere giving also means not only a willing heart, but a loving heart. Because giving puts our money where our mouth is. It's what it, here's what it does. It says to God, I love you. I love you because you love me. Love does many things for the object of its affections. Look, I know this, that whenever I met my wife, I didn't mind spending money on her to do this, and I didn't mind buying her that. Why? Because I love her. I wanted to shower her with those gifts. How much do you love God today? Don't you want to shower God? Don't you want to show God how much you love him? It's a great way to do that. But the Bible says, I speak not by commandment, but by the occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity how sincere are you in your love for God because God says if you love me remember what he said to Peter three times Peter lovest thou me oh Lord you know I love you Peter do you love me Lord I just told you I'll say it again I love you Peter do you love me feed my sheep Feed my lambs. Care about the things that I care about. Ben Richard Bronstein said, It's impossible to give without loving. But it is it's possible to give without loving, but it's impossible to love without giving. You can't say that you love if you don't give. See, it's this matter of having a sincerity to have a loving heart, but then notice sincere giving also means to have a joyful heart. Now I love this because a lot of times. When, when we say, hey, it's time for the offering, people are like, oh, my goodness. Everybody has to go to the bathroom. You know, all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, I, I forgot, you know, 
Listen, folks, it's time to be joyful. It's a part of our worship. We need to enjoy this aspect of it. The Bible says, every man as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I mean, have a smile on your face when you give to the Lord. You know why? Because God has been so good to us. I mean, folks, think about it. Even if you, if you, even if you think about the matter of the tithe, the tithe, the word tithe means 10%. Zacchaeus said, I'll give half. You know what God says? The tithe is the Lord's. I really believe the Christian life is lived beyond the tithe. The Bible talks about tithes and offerings. Uh, We're talking about faith, promise, missions, giving. Why? Because there's a need. Do you recognize the presence of a need? Do you want to be a part of it? Do you want to participate in that need? Do you want to please the Father? David responded in a humble way. He had joy when it came time to give an offering. The Bible says, now therefore our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. He's getting ready to give an offering and he's thanking God. He says, but who am I that what is my people that we should be able to offer so willing after this sword for all things come of thee and of thine own hand have we given thee. You know what David's saying there? All good gifts cometh down from above. See, God's the one who gives to us. You remember, he's the giver of life. And he's also the one that's the giver of every gift that we will ever receive. See, money, folks, is just simply a tool. It's something that God provides for us so that we can participate and be a part of what God is doing. It's a test for some people. And you know what that test is? It's a test of your relationship with him to prove the sincerity of your love. How we handle what God gives to us demonstrates how much we actually trust him. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. This first message on giving you want to make a difference? You want to make a difference? You say, I'm, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do with my life. I want, to, I want to make a difference in this world. Well, here's a great biblical way to make a difference. Giving makes a difference. Because as we give to the Lord's work, God then takes it, He blesses it, He multiplies it, and so many more people get to hear the good news, the gospel that Jesus saves. I wonder this morning, do you know Christ as your Savior? If this was your last day on this earth, do you know for sure that heaven would be your home? You see, the only way you can go to heaven is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Him. And the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, that's the greatest decision that you could ever make this side of eternity. Because you're going to live for all of eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. And God is not willing that any would perish. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And if you've never been saved, 
We want to help you today. There's a, a way to do that. I mentioned that if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that Jesus died for your sins, you can ask the Lord to forgive you of your sin, to come into your heart and to be your Savior. Right where you're sitting this morning, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. You can pray a simple prayer like this. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and be my Savior. I wonder whether our heads still bowed and our eyes closed. Did anyone just ask the Lord to save them, to be your Savior? Would you slip your hand up as no one's looking around? Pastor, I just prayed that prayer. I asked the Lord to be my Savior this morning. I want to go to heaven someday. I see that hand. Anyone else this morning? Pastor, I prayed that prayer. You can put your hand up and put it right back down. I prayed that prayer. I wanted to settle it today. It's been bothering me. I don't know for sure. But based on the Word of God this morning, now I'm sure. Anyone else at all? You can put your hand up and put it right back down. How many of you this morning as a Christian, as a believer, would say by an upraised hand, the Lord has spoken to my heart about the things that I give my resources to and I need to be more conscious of what's important to God. And I'm going to pray about being a part of meeting the need, God's work in this world. Would you slip your hand up if you're a Christian and God spoke to you in that area? You can raise your hand and you can put it right back down. Anyone else at all? God has spoken to me about this matter of giving, being a part. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed.